it's hard. Really, really hard. All right. The Winning is Hard podcast is back. Cameron Parker, West Scott Ebers, bringing you the 2022 Texas football season. We're just five days away from kickoff between Texas and the Warhawks. Louisiana, Monroe. West Scott, how you been, man? And did you watch any college football this past weekend? Been pretty well. I did. Uh, I did watch some college football. Um, you know, I woke up on Saturday. I was still so pumped about that Austin FC match uh, that I had to watch that again before I got into the uh, American football. But um, good having football back. Uh, ready for the season. You know, this is a football podcast, and we probably don't have a, a lot of Austin FC fans listening. And if we do, uh, that was a great match. That was so much fun. I've never. I'm not into MLS enough where I hate opposing teams yet like I like I do with Manchester United but LAFC I, I completely hate them now they're the they're the New York Yankees of, of MLS right now for sure exactly exactly did you watch any uh Nebraska Northwestern I catch any of the Nebraska game I did watch um a fair number of uh, Casey Thompson's throws um it's like a pretty good start for him and then um just uh really didn't didn't finish it well and you know wasn't really able to you know carry the Huskers over the line there or something uh, that looked um, a little bit familiar I think um, to any Texas fans who watched it. Yeah, for sure. And not to harp on Casey Thompson, as I say right before I harp on him. I like the guy a lot. I thought he was a good football player. Uh, things didn't work out for him at Texas. Totally understand the move. Uh, don't understand why he's been so anti-Texas lately and his uh, media availabilities. But we got the full Casey Thompson experience. And we also got the full Texas fan Twitter experience, Westcott. Because in that, by halftime, I think he had 298 yards and three touchdowns, right? Is that what he was had at halftime? Uh, I don't know the stats off offhand. I think so. And if not, it was over 200 yards. But we had Texas Twitter fans say, oh, uh, but all the anti-Thompson fans are, are upset now. And then by the end of the fourth quarter, after the two interceptions, we had those fans saying, oh, all the Casey Thompson fans are upset now. So we got the full, full-on anti-Casey Thompson and Casey Thompson fan club uh, Twitter experience from all the Texas football fans and the actual performance of Casey Thompson himself in that game against Northwestern. It's uh, quite a start to the season there. And now Texas starts in five days, and Steve Sarkeesian, he had his weekly press conference today. Westcott, you were there. Uh, player availabilities were there. Well, what did you make of um, the first week one press conference, and you know what, what were the notes and nuggets that you took away from it? Yeah, I'm going to see if I can get through this without my um, you know, brain melting after uh, spending, man, I don't know, we may have had about 90 minutes with uh, the coaches and players today. So, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of information to take in here. Um, you know, we'll try to sort it out a little bit. Um, you know, Texas did play a, a mock game on Saturday. So instead of having a, a third scrimmage, they basically do everything uh, like it would look, you know, the night before, uh, stay in the hotel, go through the walkthrough, um, try to uh, replicate a game as much as they can. You know, both teams on the same sidelines, uh, going in and off the field with the offense um, and the defense. So, you know, I think Steve Sarkeesian sounded like he was pretty happy about that. Certainly, um, you know, by this point in fall camp, uh, preseason camp, that is, uh, getting into game week, you know, I think things start to get a little bit um, repetitive. There's not a whole lot of uh, things to say that, that are really new. 
Um, you know, really one of the big storylines um, for Texas are all the culture building things um, that they've done, trying to put the players um, around each other a little bit more often, having more uh, group outings in their in their position groups. Um, you know, more Ojimo actually uh, met with the media today for the first time uh, since uh, his extremely notable appearance during the spring. They let him out? Wow. I thought we'd never see him again. Cameron Morrow uh, was a shell of himself today. It was, um, it was, oh, no. it was, it was kind of rough to see. He, he said three times, um, you know, I, I needed to, I needed to take a little break. Um, but he did say that, you know, the, you know, the players had been kind of getting together in, in groups of 10 and just kind of talking about distractions in their lives, their own life stories. Um, just kind of trying to, to build that bond up that, um, you know, I think the coaching changes, you know, certainly had a, an impact on that and how players related to each other. I, mean, I think the pandemic was really difficult, too, because it was tough for guys to be around each other um, in the facility. Steve Sarkeesian has talked about uh, the south end zone construction as well that played a role in that. Um, and so I think it was good this offseason. I, I, I'm not sure if it's going to play out um, in the way, you know, obviously, you know, after having covered – so many disappointing seasons, you know, first year that I wrote for BON was 08 and then 09 and then 2018 has really been the, the only year that it wasn't a disappointment. Um, so definitely didn't believe it when I see it mode, but, um, you know, that's been a, a big storyline this fall about just having better, better culture. And, you know, Sark mentioned defensively, uh, better cohesion, better communication, guys flying to the ball, more explosive defensively, uh, creating more turnovers, interceptions, uh, forcing fumbles, and uh, said that the pass rush was drastically improved as well. So, um, you know, certainly having some improvement from the defense that was so poor last year, uh, just reaching you know a level of of um, a level of competency uh, would be a fairly significant jump. And then, you know, for anyone um, you know interested in the value of, of turnover margin and the extent that Texas needs to improve there, um, I did a piece earlier. Um, in camp that uh, people can find on the origination. That's yeah, a really good piece to check out. And Texas is going to need to make a, a really big jump in forcing turnovers and the turnovers they give up. And one guy that might be giving up a handful of turnovers could possibly be Quinn Ewers, a young quarterback, uh, got a really high ceiling. I think Westcott, I think everyone else does, is really excited about his arm talent. But from what you have seen through, you know, the open scrimmages and in the, the practice, what what can Texas fans expect from from Quinn Ewers going into Louisiana Monroe? Yeah, well, I, th- I think Steve Sarkeesian mentioned this even as he detailed his reasons for starting Ewers um, when he explained that last week. Um, there's going to be growing pains for him. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, he should be a true freshman. He reclassified. Um, as I think you know, most people are probably aware of, to go to Ohio State, um, only received a couple snaps there. He, he said that he was grateful for that experience and that it did help him kind of be ahead of the curve of where he would have been. But, you know, there's going to be a little bit of rust uh, to shake off. He hasn't really been hit, um, you know, since he was a junior two years ago. Uh, now almost when he was at South Lake Carroll. Um, and, and he does have a little bit of a, a gunslinger mentality. Um, you know, part of what comes along with uh, a lot of those guys that have arm talent is that, you know, they believe in their ability to fit balls um, into tight windows. And, you know, I, I think there's going to be times that, you know, that's going to get him in trouble this year. 
Um, you know, I thought it was notable today. You know, we've kind of heard from from Sark and we've heard from Quinn that he's a pretty, you know, even kill guy. His, his demeanor doesn't really change very much um, based off of what happens on the field, good or bad. And, um, you know, that was something that Bijan really pointed out today was that, you know, if he had just made a big player or thrown an interception, uh, you, you probably wouldn't be able to tell from his demeanor. And when he does make mistakes in practice, goes over, gets coached up and, and goes out, continually continuing to believe in, in, his, in his ability to deliver passes. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the things uh, that comes from just having that level of, of natural ability that he has is that, um, you know, he knows that he can go out there and, and keep making plays, even if he does have a mistake. Yeah, and what Sark said today about naming yours QB1 was that he thinks yours has the ability to make all the throws in his system and got that playmaking ability, and he's got the natural passing ability that Sark likes. And one thing that you've touched on since Sark took over was he looks he's looking for a quarterback that can make those shot throws, right? The throws down the field. And I believe Hudson Card was around what 15% on deep throws last year. Casey Thompson just above 30%. So a big part of that is Ewers' ability to make those deep throws. And it seems like Sark either believes he'll be able to make those throws or has seen it in practice. Yeah, there's no question. Um, you know, certainly anyone who's a returning listener knows that. Um, you know, almost every week last season we talked about that, and it was really particularly brutal for um, Xavier Worthy. Uh, there's a video out there. I think I linked it in, in the piece that I did um, about Worthy a couple weeks ago, and it, uh, it's, it's kind of brutal watching it, um, you know, all those times where he's wide open running down the field, and the quarterback just simply can't get him the ball. And um, I certainly expect to see less of that from Quinn Ewers. Um, obviously, you know, the, the long deep ball to Isaiah Naylor in the spring game was really the, the splash play of that entire scrimmage. Uh, one of the best throws in the open practice the other week uh, was Ewers rolling out to his right and finding Brennan Thompson in the corner of the end zone. Um, you know, Ewers did miss his first throw in the spring game, uh, overthrowing Dejon Harrison, who was open down the scene. Uh, scene. Um, but really, he, he's, he's done a, a good job of that and in some of the brief moments uh, that we've seen of him. And, you know, I think the other thing about yours too, is that, you know, he's a guy who can really deliver the ball uh, very similar to, to Patrick Mahomes from, he doesn't have to have his feet set. He throws from a lot of different arm angles. Um, and I think that means that, you know, he can get the ball out quickly. He's got a very quick release. Um, he doesn't, have to have his feet set to be able to put the ball where he wants it. And, you know, I think when you start talking about, you know, the RPO game or, or when he maybe has to make subtle moves in the pocket, um, you know, I think he'll have a, a, an ability uh, to deliver footballs that uh, really sets him apart from, um, you know, some recent Texas quarterbacks. I think, you know, probably Shane Bouchel uh, did that the best of, of anybody recently, uh, but certainly uh, not anywhere close. Uh, to the ability in that regard that when yours possesses. And the wideouts he'll be thrown to, obviously, uh, devastating injury to Isaiah Naor out for the year. Um, but, you know, Sarks mentioned that, you know, it's all about that next man up mentality. So it seems like we're going to have Worthy and Whittington on the outside. Wes Scott, Tariq Milton's been getting a lot of work at the slot. Uh, Savion Reed, too, the freshman. He's an exciting player. He, he has reminded me of, you know, kind of Coral Patterson in high school, the way that teams could find 
chances to get the, the ball to him. And it didn't have to be just, you know, an X receiver. He could do things all over the field. So interesting to see how he'll be. Casey Kane, the redshirt freshman, not the NASCAR driver for the three people that get that reference. Uh, he's been getting a lot of work on the outside too with the ones. Um, and that possibly means that Troy O'Mary, a receiver who came in two years ago, we were really high on is kind of, you know, falling down the totem pole. So Wes Scott, what's your level of concern with the receiving unit right now? And how do you think things are going to shake out this season? Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, Nayor is a big loss. I, I don't think that they have any one-to-one replacements for him. Um, they have some guys who, who maybe have aspects of, of what he could do. You know, you can get Brandon Thompson, you know, obviously a, a track guy, has the speed to tra- uh, stretch the field, made some nice plays in the open practice um, after he struggled with drops earlier. You know, once he got into the, the late team periods, um, he was really effective. Um, you know, I think Red has drawn comparisons to Debo Samuels uh, from, you know, two of his teammates now. Uh, very much built like a running back, uh, has some explosiveness to him. I think he's farther along than, than I expected uh, right now, especially given his ranking and, and some of the limited reps uh, because he's playing a lot of quarterback by necessity uh, for his high school team. Um, you know, I think, you know, one thing that I talked about in, in a piece that I wrote a couple weeks ago after, after that injury is, you know, that Texas benefits from having depth at other positions. Uh, Bijan Robinson, you know, said today that he's been lining up in the slot a lot and, and getting to run some routes that, you know, wide, that uh, running backs don't often uh, get to run and, and creating some matchup problems in there um, against safeties and linebackers. So, you know, that's an area where, you know, Texas could be, you know, running um, 21 personnel there with, with two running backs on the field. They certainly, you know, have the depth to do that. They did that a little bit last year. Um, they'll probably use more uh, 12 personnel package, a lot of praise for Jatavian Sanders recently. Um, Jalil Billingsley has good pass catching ability coming from Alabama. And, um, you know, Gunnar Helm came in and, and you know, it's probably a little bit more impressive than, than I expected um, last year too. So, you know, Texas has a depth at other positions um, to make up for that. And, and, you know, I didn't mention Casey Kane, but, um, you know, he's a guy who looked really good, looked consistent. Uh, catching passes in the open practice. Um, he's a guy that can kind of replace that that catch radius, um, you know, that um, that Nayor had. And, um, you know, I think with, with O'Meary, it's just, um, you know, all about, you know, getting getting comfortable again after those two knee injuries. He had another setback, um, you know, missed the open practice, um, you know, the, the same scenario when he was injured last year. Um, so I think it's just going to be a little bit uh, more time for him to come on. But, you know, right now, I think um, some of those other wide receivers are, are stepping up and, you know, start, certainly has a, a deep bag, um, you know, with his playbook and using other personnel groupings and putting other guys in a posi- position to succeed because he has a lot of uh, versatility at those two other positions. And you mentioned Billingsley, of course, the, the tight end transfer from Alabama, another Alabama transfer, Guy Hall. Uh, the wideout who's been in a, a little bit of uh, trouble over this offseason, notably um, with UT parking. Westcott, you went to Texas. I went to Texas. Um, 
UT parking sucks. All right. I don't know how many tickets I got. I've fought with them multiple times. And if they, if they weren't going to withhold my bachelor's degree, I probably never would have paid a single parking ticket. Um, but what can Texas fans expect from those two guys? And, you know, what are the chances we're going to see them on the field? Because the reports out of, you know, training camp or out of fall camp rather, um, weren't too high on the Alabama transfers. Yeah, um, you know, Billingsley has had some issues, um, I think, with the, with his hands and just kind of his overall commitment to football. Um, you know, Jai Hall certainly has maturity issues that resulted in, in his departure from the Alabama team and, and manifested in other ways and, you know, taking a tire iron to the boot after getting, you know, who knows how many tickets after, you know, arriving at, at Texas. So, you know, the last How many, how many was, do you think it took for him to get that? on the boot i mean that's got to be he i, I would guess he could, he, he'd probably be close to 10 i would think <laughs> i don't know that's just a wild that's just kind of a wild guess i don't really have any and with the building of the moody center you know that that was a big parking lot for texas students to park at i used to park in that that lot next to the Maynard garage right and the ut swimming that's gone now so there's realistically only i believe one one parking lot that's not a garage. And if you want to park in the garage, that's a ludicrous amount of money to pay. You want to pay for that pass. So there's only, I believe only one parking garage or one parking lot you can park at. That's not on the east side of campus. If you want to park on the east side, which is the east side of 35, but to get there, you got to take a bunch of buses or walk. So that's not, you know, a great place to park at unless you have all the time in the world. I think the extremely early mornings for the, for the athletes make that a little bit more difficult to, to use the public transportation and um you know i mean part of the story certainly as you mentioned you know i came to texas 20 years ago and there's barely any of the parking bots left now that, that used to exist there when i when i first got here and um there was a report from brian fisher i didn't see it really anywhere else so I, i'm not sure um, you know, if, if that's been substantiated yet, that the NCAA was talking about allowing schools to pay for parking costs, which I think, you know, a lot of places and, you know, Stillwater, Oklahoma, I don't think that's a problem. You know, I was at <laughs> a couple of weeks ago and then I don't think they, you know, really have those issues and not, you know, uh, it's, it's a very, it's a very uh, University of Texas um, specific concern and, um, you know, if the NCAA doesn't start allowing that, then um, maybe the NIL folks need to step up and just have uh, a fund just for um, just to get those the athletes uh, parking spots on campus so they don't uh, pick up all these parking tickets. And it's not like they can just build a parking lot either. Like if you've been around campus, there's there's little room to build anything right now. It was, yeah, it was hard enough to find a spot to build the Moody yeah. Center. It's hard enough just to, just to park if you're covering an event. I mean, where did you have to park to to cover the press conference today? Um, I took the bus. Yeah. I took the bus today. I took a, I took a lift in the morning, and then I took a bus back later. Yeah. But yeah generally, generally Maynard, Maynard Garage is, is pretty easy to get in and out of for those. And it sounds like they're not providing this the athletes with those parking passes. Now, on the one hand, if you know, if they are providing, I don't know. If that's a question that's been asked to to Sark or anyone at Texas. How students get get 
parking, but there's not a lot of free parking anywhere on campus. And there's a few spots where you can park for, you know, 30 minutes. Now, of course, it's not just the parking that got him in trouble. He's got had issues at Alabama, and obviously he's had a few issues here. Um, but if he can get on the field, especially with Nayar's injury and what Billingsley can bring, I believe both were five-star athletes out coming out of high school. Were they, Westcott? Think, yeah, I think Hall was. I think Hall was right on the high four-star. Okay. Four-star around, right around, right around fifty nationally. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure, especially with you know missing time. You know, Sark said that he's he's doing the right things right now to be able to get back with the team. He didn't you know, provide any more details than that or any possible timetable. Um, I, I think Hall would maybe have some of those, some of more similar skills to Naylor than anyone else. He's just, um, he's much less refined and, you know, had had some drops at Alabama too. And, you know, I'm not sure that he's someone that, you know, was ever really projected to be um, entirely trustworthy this year at Texas. So that brings us into conversation I wanted to ask you about was, you know, what Texas player or coach do you think has to have a good season this year? I mean, I, I think you have to start with PK, yeah. you know, right now, um, you know, the situation, you know, reminds me a lot. I mean, this has happened twice at, at Texas where, um, sorry, just, I mean, they, where they fired defense coordinators and, you know, in the middle of the season that, the year that it reminds me the most of is, um, you know, probably 2013 with Manny Diaz when Greg Robinson came in as an analyst and, um, you know, replaced Diaz after that infamous rain-delayed loss, um, you know, at, at BYU. And um, I guess they, they left Manny they left Manny on the tarmac. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think that it's going to – I wouldn't expect it to go down like that. Um you know, nearly as, as quickly because it's still, it's still really early, but um, you know, I, I think that there's not really a ton of leash for PK to get this turned around when there's somebody with um, the experience and, and just the chops of, of Gary Patterson, who doesn't, you know, even project, um, you know, to, to be at, at Texas. I mean, I think if they get two years out of them, that would be, um, you know, probably the, the limit of, of what anyone could reasonably expect. So, you know, I, I think PK is the one guy who really, really stands out. And um, I don't know how much of, you know, what happened last year were, was, you know, limitations in, in terms of personnel. I think, you know, that was probably a fair amount of it. Um, but he's a guy who, who really needs to get this unit you know, performing uh, to the top of standards that he set for a really long time playing and uh, coaching in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, I, I think one thing that makes me a little bit leery of, of putting expectations on that type of turnaround is just the way that um, the Big 12 Conference has, has chewed up defensive coordinators, especially, mm-hmm. especially at Texas. I mean, Will Muschamp is, is really the last defensive coordinator who was able to leave Texas with his reputation intact after spending time in this league. Just looking at the stats from last year, um, it's it's brutal. Um, opponent points per game, ranked 93rd yards per game. They gave up about 427 yards per game. That's 96th in the nation yards per play. 
about six. That's a hundredth in the nation. Uh, teams were converting about 43% of their third downs, which was 94th. Converting 58% of their fourth downs in the red zone. They were scoring 88% of the time, which is 97th in the nation. Uh, rush defense is awful. Uh, in the hundreds for yards per rush in yards per game. In the hundreds. Westcott um, turnovers the margin we talked about it earlier average one takeaway per game 1.4 giveaways per game not great so there, there's none of these stats I'm going through here are higher than 80% or 80th in the nation for most of them uh, the best one is passing is yards per pass in yards or passing yards per game and even then, that's 47 and 59. So I think for, for PK, it's just some progression, right? We want to see just some signs that the defense is getting better. But the personnel questions were a big part of that. I always remember the Iowa State game and how the defense kind of just gave up. And a lot of those players, um, and one of them I believe is at Sam Houston State right now, just seemed like they did not want to try. On tackling, I, I, it was it was tackling that reminded me of the Manny Diaz teams, where it's just like, did you where did you learn how to tackle? Yeah, and um, you know, Sark did say earlier in camp that the tackling has been better. Um, obviously, not a lot of periods for live tackling in preseason camp. We've got the scrimmages, um, you know, a couple practices, you know, where they go live into the ground. Um, so that's you know certainly another area where. You know, I'll, I'll believe it when, when I see it. Um, I think the bottom line with the defense is, um, you know, if, if they can make it to, to competency, then, um, you know, that would be a huge accomplishment. Um, you know, a lot of positive buzz about Byron Murphy, um, Vernon Broughton coming on, um, Ethan Burke as well, kind of a surprise guy that, you know, I had on the 2D depth chart that, that Sark confirmed last week where – you know, I was certainly someone who was pretty vocal about thinking that, that he was going to be a longer term um, development, you know, prospect. But, you know, Jatavian Sanders was very vocal about, you know, how the strength of Burke really surprised him, you know, and that's um, not necessarily something that, that I was expecting from a guy, you know, who was listed at, you know, 6'7", uh, 225 coming out of high school to 234 now and just extremely long and, and, and appears lean, but you know, sometimes those guys that are that are so long like that, it's hard to get a good idea of, of what their strength is just from looking at them or even, you know, some of the highlights. Are you concerned about the secondary right now? I'm concerned at what happens if, you know, Anthony Cook gets injured. Yeah. Uh, I think Texas needs a lot of growth out of Jaron Thompson, who frankly was not very good last year. Um there's a lot riding on Jody Barron, it feels like, and he's just banged up. It sounds like Michael Taft's going to be playing um, the walk-on <laughs> from Westlake, right? He might, he might be in the, he might be in the rotation, and, and I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, I think right now at, at Star, the backup is Jalen Gilbo, and I, he might even be pushing Barron, um, you know, for starting time with the way that people have been talking about him. You know, there are maybe, I mean, there, there were more players that sung Gilbo's praises today than didn't mention him. And, and Keaton Crawford, too. I think Sark had a, had a couple things about Crawford, who might end up 
taking that safety spot over Jaron Thompson. Now, Sark said today that they're not going to be releasing a depth chart throughout the season. Um, so, you know, we, we can do our best to guess, but we won't really know until that first play on defense. Yeah, no question about that. I think some of the angles um, have been a little bit of an adjustment for Crawford going from cornerback to safety. Uh, certainly a ton of speed, uh, known as a physical tackler. I, I was kind of expecting, um, you know, him to, to be able to beat out Thompson. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that's more of an indication of Thompson's growth than it is about um, the lack of it and any struggles to adjust to safety for Crawford. What about breakout players? You mentioned Jatavian Sanders, and, you know, that might be the consensus pick for a breakout player to have a breakout year. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that and on, on even both sides of the ball? Yeah, uh, San, Sanders known as a guy that, uh, you know, has great hands, athletic, really had to adjust to blocking last year. Uh, hadn't played tight end, been a wide receiver and a defensive end in high school at Den Ryan. Um, so I think there was a big learning curve for him, um, you know, but Bijan said today that um, you could tell that there's just a change in his demeanor this year where, you know, he just believes that he's, he's that guy and he's backing it up with his play. So I'm really excited, um, you know, to see what Sanders can do this year. He's one of those guys when you, you know, you go out of, out of practice and he just really jumps out at you. Like that's what, that's what NFL tight ends look like. And he certainly has all all of the um, all of the talent of a future successful NFL tight end. Uh, so it's just about him him putting it together, and I, I really think that he's going to do that. He was the highest rated commit in that twenty twenty class, right? Twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one class, and there, there was you know was, oh. people didn't understand why he wasn't playing, right? And I think even at one point during the season when the defensive line was was playing awful, that there was thoughts of like, hey, why not? Sanders' time at defensive line if he can't Sanders, break through. Sanders' family was telling him that, too, actually. There, there wow. wasn't people on the internet. And I think a big part of that was um, in high school, he didn't play tight end. He played receiver because he was the biggest guy in the field everywhere. So it, it took it's going to take time for him to learn the tight end position, right? You don't just show up. Even if, even with his natural ability, uh, it, and, it's going to take know, time for anybody. And Texas had a the fifth year tight end and a third year tight end ahead of him on the depth chart last year. Yeah. And Gunnar Helm came in during the spring and played pretty well too. So, you know, Sanders coming in during the summer was, um, you know, well behind the curve and uh, there, there just wasn't time for him to, to catch up and really uh, make a depth, make a den in, in that depth chart, um, you know, to really find meaningful playing time last year. Uh, on defense, it kind of sounds like the guys who might and possibly have to have a breakout year are Ferdinand Broughton and then Byron Murphy, uh, Ryan Murphy. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think those are those are two good picks. Uh, really like Byron Murphy. I think he's he's a good pass rusher. He's built very much like Roy Miller. Kind of has that that edge to him, like Roy Miller did. Um, you know, Broughton. I'm trying to remember who was telling us this. Um, just talking about just, you know, his ability to get into the backfield. Uh, certainly, you know, I think um, I expected the light to come on for Alfred Collins like that. Um, you know, his class, it seems like it's happening for his classmate, um, Vernon Broaden. Um, you know, either way, it's, you know, Broaden coming on is, is good for Texas, but, you know, certainly also a little bit uh, disappointing that there hasn't been very much buzz about Alfred Collins and, you know, some of that as well, uh, likely due to, uh, getting kind of dinged up in, in camp. 
Yeah, and for the rest of the rest of the, the defense too, uh, the linebacker position seems like it's got I don't know about the most depth, but it feels like it's the most set in terms of we know what we're going to expect from it, right? With, with Overshone back, um, Demonte Tucker Dorsey's gotten some high praise so far. It seems like Overshone can he's going to move him back to that that will spot, right? Or they're going to play him more at middle linebacker. Um, no, that if if they bring Tucker Dorsey on the field, I think they'll be playing um, Demo at uh, strong side linebacker, like okay. they used Ovia Pofu last year, and so he'll get he'd get some opportunities off the edge in that position, uh, like he did in the open practice. He had a really nice uh, rapid beating um, Kelvin Banks, which is a, a pure speed rush. Um, but you know, obviously J- Jalen Ford is a guy that's taken a big step forward, made a lot of tackles in his playing time last year. Um, I think he, it might not be fair to call him a breakout player because he was quite good last year, uh, but he is one of those guys who's really seemed to, to take the next step uh, to the extent that, you know, it hasn't even been worth a lot of comment um, in preseason camp. And, you know, I think Jet Bush um, talked about his, his instincts and his ability to play downhill, moving to that linebacker position and not asking him to hold up as an undersized player in the trenches, which, you know, he was able to hold his own at times, but it, it just wasn't um, the best fit for what he what he does well. And so I think, you know, if Texas needs to get reps from him, um, you know, he could end up being um, a physical upgrade over what they got from Luke Brockermeyer last year. Let's take a short break. We'll come back give our 2022 Texas predictions and a little preview of Saturday's game against the Warhawks. All right, so Wes Scott, what is your 2022 prediction for Texas? Undefeated national championship. <laughs> um, no, I think I'm where, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the other reporters are based on, you know, what Cedric Golden was asking people today. Um, you know, Obvious, you know, eight and five over under this year for a lot of the offseason. Um, I think the injuries to Naor and Angelou put that under. So, you know, eight wins for me. I think there's a fair amount of delta on that because um, I'm not convinced that the Big 12 is actually that good this year. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if maybe the rest of college football just isn't that good, but I, I don't really see Oklahoma, Baylor, and, and Oklahoma State as being near, um, you know, top 10 teams. Um, you know, so I think that the Big 12 is, is very open um, and very winnable in a way that, um, you know, really hasn't been for quite a while with uh, just how dominant Oklahoma has been uh, for, you know, the last, I guess, since, you know, since uh, the good Baylor and, and TCU teams kind of in the middle of, of last decade. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that if things come together right for the Longhorns, they could challenge for a Big 12 title, but... Um, I don't. I don't think that's really likely, given you know the youth on on the offensive line, the youth at quarterback, uh, the loss of a key playmaker, wide receiver, and then just you know all of those question marks on 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 defense uh, that we just talked about. So where are you at? Yeah, I think the ceiling, like a perfect season, I think ends with Texas being the number two team making it to the Big Twelve title. But I think nine and three. It might just be nine and three, you know, uh, losing Nayor and losing Angelou. That's 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 big. You know, a lot of people were 
got tired of it and thought, you know, maybe the media was overreacting, but I, I don't think we are. I mean, there is a reason why when people put together their preseason, you know, list and they did like the top receiving units, like Texas was up there because of Isaiah Nayor. You know, he was a hot commodity and for offensive line, if you were like, hey, we can't lose uh, a key starter at this position, it probably would have been offensive line over any other spot. And I still think that. Now, depending on how the offensive line develops, if Texas can get through the season without any more major injuries and Cole Hudson will develop and Campbell will develop and Banks will develop, then the offensive line can be pretty good. It's possible that Hayden, that Hayden Connor ends up being better by the end of the season. Than yeah. Um, who I'm not sure, you know, was really on a trajectory to become, um, you know, a draftable player. But at the same time, you know, we're still talking about the team's most experienced offensive lineman in a group that other than, you know, Christian Jones and, and Jake Major just doesn't have a lot really anywhere on the depth chart. Yeah, it's not like Angelau is Joe Thomas. He's not going to be a first-round draft pick and, and in the Hall of Fame. But it, like you said, the, the experience for the offensive line, like – you know, a warning to Texas fans, you're probably going to see a lot of penalties early on, a lot of holding calls, and, and hopefully um, Coach Flood gets it sorted out and we don't have to see it. But there's probably going to be times where a couple of guys are going left and the other guys going right. You know, it happens in the NFL offensive lines, and it's going to happen for, you know, on offensive line here at Texas that at probably at one point, and you would hope during this Louisiana Monroe game, like the fourth quarter, Coach Flood can, you know, put – five freshmen out there, five true and redshirt freshmen out there at the same time, you know, the future of Texas, but there's going to be penalties that come with that. Yeah. And there's just like, there's going to be growing pains with Quinn Ewers. There's going to be growing pains for Cole Hudson and growing pains for Hayden Connor. And, you know, perhaps long continuing pains with Christian Jones, um, you know, who struggled last year, a lot of times he, he said that he's, you know, a little bit more, um, right foot dominant, and so he moving back to the right side maybe maybe a good move for him. But you know Hayden Connor will will cert- almost certainly have have growing pains too. And so I think it's very positive that Cole Hudson came in um, and and is farther along than expected right now. Um, you know I'm not sure that he was really in that top group of of offensive linemen in that class that I would have expected to contribute early. And um, certainly all of the news that's um, come out from um, you know, teammates and, and Steve Sarkeesian about Kelvin Banks has just been, you know, really raving about him coming in very physically mature, um, very emotionally mature, very mentally mature. And so I think that um, I, th- I think by the end of the season, Texas should be getting uh, quite good play for him. And, you know, I think as, as Texas fans watch some of these growing pains, um, you know, I think the key thing to keep in mind is that, you know, they really want that offensive line to have a steady rate of improvement um, when they uh, steady trajectory of improvement, um, you know, before they go to Stillwater on October 22nd and they finish with Kansas State, TCU, Kansas um, and Baylor. And, and certainly those Kansas State and, and Baylor games uh, project as, as being difficult. You know, Kansas State considered one of the possible dark horses um, in the conference. But, you know, if if some of these young players can can live up to the expectations and, and Kyle Flood can, um, you know, live up to his reputation um, around college football, then, you know, I, I think it's possible that, that Texas um, could have a pretty solid group of, of offensive linemen because they just haven't had this type of upside in quite a while. 
and last year we didn't see you know the natural progression of the offensive line that I think we hoped. I think it, it was just as bad towards the end of the year as it was at the beginning, and I think a lot of that was due to injuries and not having the, the right personnel that Kyle Flood wants, and that's the reason why we got two freshmen starting and probably at least three playing for a good part of the le- part of the year. But yeah, I think eight and four is what I said in the roundtable we put out last week. Um, after the first five games, I think four and one's a great start. I think it's the perfect start. A lot of people say, well, if Texas beats Alabama, we're not, not going to happen. Texas is not beating Alabama. Uh, Nick Saban said last year was a rebuilding year. They lost the national championship, and if they had Jamison Williams and John Mechie, they probably could have won. So in my professional opinion, four and one is a good start, but you know that Cotton Bowl game I think is going to be a, a big turning point for the season because if Sark can win that, and say you're six and one, then the outlook is completely different than if you lose. It's five and two, and you're still thinking, okay, this team they're still they're still a year away from really contending. But that three game stretch from October eighth to twenty second, Oklahoma home for Iowa State. Um, don't know. I'm pretty sure Brock Purdy has graduated. I can't confirm Westcott if he trots if he trots back out in the field. I won't be surprised at this point. I don't even know where their starting quarterback is. And then uh, Oklahoma State at Stillwater. Um, last time Texas won, you know, shout out to Joseph Asai for I think single-handedly winning that game against Oklahoma State. But Texas has had their troubles in Stillwater and against uh, Coach Gundy and Spencer Sanders overall. Yeah, no question about that. I think the real key for Texas um, and looking at how this schedule shapes up is, you know, to be able to take care of business in those first five games and just not have the season go sideways as it did. Excuse me, starting with that blown lead in the Cotton Bowl, um, then, you know, progressing to the, to the blowing the lead against Oklahoma State and the Baylor loss and just the way that um, those losses kind of piled up on each other and, and, really exposed a team that didn't have enough mental or physical toughness and didn't have, you know, trust in, in the systems that they were in, didn't have enough trust, um, you know, with each other, um, really since the end of spring practice. And I guess probably even before that, you know, Sark has really been um, very carefully advancing a narrative about some of the changes that he's made and, and the growth that the team has had, you know, Jordan Whittington, um, you know, left us after the spring game with some of his final comments about, um, you know, seeing an improved chemistry and, 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 and an improved team culture. And then certainly I think, um, you know, just the, the kind of continuity that the program has struggled uh, to put together really since, uh, you know, the demise of, of the Mac Brown era, um, you know, just having second year coaches is very early in that trajectory, certainly. But, um, you know, that's something that Texas hasn't had uh, just uh, way too often uh, since they made the national championship game at the end of the 2009 season. So this season's definitely going to end the Alamo Bowl, right? The Alamo Bowl is not a bad place to end up anymore. I think landing at the Alamo Bowl would be a pretty successful season for Texas. I think people... Because people dump on the Alamo Bowl, but the Alamo actually moved up in the bowl in the Big Twelve Bowl tier, well, like four, four or five years ago. Yeah. So people people remember 
the disappointment of going to an Alamo Bowl is um, the type of season that going to the Alamo Bowl doesn't represent anymore. Hey, we've been, what, like three times in the last decade. I've been there for a handful of high school games. I have it. I have it nodded down. I know where the park at, where they eat at. Uh, Bill Miller's Barbecue is in that corner where you can park as a media member and you just walk over. So I, I know how to get out of there. So Alamo Bowl, I'm totally fine with. The open air, the open air uh, press box is kind of cool, too. Yeah, it, it's a cool facility. Um, it's a bad venue, yeah. No doubt about it. Now, if it's the Texas Bowl or anything like that, the Cheez-It Bowl, <laughs> I don't think it's Orlando. Um that might be a little bit disappointing, but so we talked about the ceiling of the team. Um, I think I said nine and three. What about the floor? So the Stu Mandel from the athletic um, put out an article, his big 12 predictions had Kansas state winning. And I believe he had Texas winning four games overall in two games in the big 12. So do you agree with that as the floor, a four and eight season? I think a lot would have to go wrong for that. Um, I mean, I don't want him to catch a federal crime, but like if Stuart Mandel wants to tell me whatever he's been smoking, I would be, definitely be willing to try that because that sounds like some dank shit based on that prediction. That, I mean, that's, I'm trying to wrap my mind around who would have to get injured and I don't want to speak it out in the universe. So that yeah, I don't know. Happen. I don't even, yeah, I don't even want to put that out in the world. What it would, what I think it would probably take for Texas to go for an eight. Seven to five is definitely on the table. Um, I think looking at the schedule again, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Alabama are the three games I think Texas loses. Um, maybe even Kansas State in there. I could see Texas losing the Kansas State and then beating Baylor just because I think by the end of the year, if this team can stay healthy, I think Texas will be really dangerous because of that offensive line. Um, but we don't know. We'll find out how this team looks on Saturday. ULM. The Warhawks, coached by uh, Terry Bowden. Unfortunately, Rich Rodriguez and his son aren't there anymore. I know a lot of people are sad about that. Do you want to spend any time talking about the Warhawks at all? Um, they lost a former Texas offensive lineman, Willie Tyler, who is their starting left tackle, and that was uh, a pretty significant loss for a team that uh, was not good last year. Um, four and eight last year. Um, I think they were, they were winless the year before. Uh, which yeah. is why Terry, Terry Bowden was brought in. Um, I think maybe I saw the over-under for them as like two and a half wins, so they may not really be be better this year. I don't don't really think that they um, particularly improved their roster. If they're going to get better, then, you know, it's kind of the, some of the same deal with Texas of just having a little bit uh, more continuity with the coaching staff. But um, I, I don't think this is a good team. Uh, the over when I posted it yesterday at DraftKings uh, was 37 and a half. Uh, I do not give betting advice. Um, if I was going to spend <laughs> my money, I would not take the over on that. But, you know, again, don't don't take my betting advice. That just uh, that seemed kind of crazy to me. We can end on this note. Who had a longer losing streak last year, Louisiana Monroe or Texas? I think it would have to be Texas because Texas was six. I don't think Louisiana. I haven't looked at their their schedule last year, but I don't. I don't think they lost six in a row. You're right. They only lost five in a row. Texas sadly lost six, which I was reminded of today. Uh, going forward, I think we got a 
what's going to be our, our podcast schedule for the year so everyone who's listening can know what to look out for? I'll definitely be here on Monday. I think, um, you know, maybe as, as time permits, um, maybe around on, on Wednesdays as well. So uh, trying to get back into it here. Yeah, and stay tuned to burnorigination.com. Got some great content that our, our team is putting up. Should be a, a good year. Well, Scott, you're going to be in the press box uh, each week, correct? Yep. Cool, and I'll be in the stand. So we're going to be able to give you guys uh, a good perspective on Texas football. Well, happy, Scott, as always. Happy happy news for um, the fans, Cam and all the rest of the fans. Uh, looks like it should be in the low 90s for both of the first two games. So uh, shouldn't be cooking too bad there out in the stands. Have we? Have you looked at a schedule yet, of way ahead schedule for the weather for the Alabama game? Yep. Yeah. yeah, both games are supposed to be in the low 90s. Wow. Now, the only issue is that it just be humid as all get out, but – that's not probably, bad. Can will probably be very humid, but I think a lot of the expectations were, you know, close to 100 degrees for both of those games. I was yeah. certainly how the summer went until the uh, the heat broke this past week or so. With my seats in the north end zone, I I still uh, remember how how my bald forehead felt with the sun on on me for those three hours against Louisiana Lafayette. I've I've never felt more miserable in hot. <laughs> in my entire life. And I, I still love it. I complain about it, but I can't wait for it on Saturday. So it, it's nice that we're going to get a refresher. How many, uh, what percentage would you put the south end zone at as how full it will be the capacity for this first game? If it's anything like last year, it'll be about 10. Hmm. But I have to think that CDC did something to try to try to resolve that issue. I don't I don't know that I've seen anything definitive, but I know that I was a, a major, major topic of conversation. So um, we'll see. We'll see what that looks like. That'll be uh, one of the uh, perhaps one of the more interesting storylines if uh, ULM is not an improved team this year. And it'll be a night game. So there, there's not an excuse for uh, it being too hot and the sun on you. And there's no excuse for the best on you anyway. It should be pretty comfortable in the uh, in the south end. Yeah, like in considering the Alabama thing will be interesting to see how many fans show up in that south end zone because if it comes and the rest of the stadium is sold out and you look over at that uh, the Longhorn and you see it kind of empty, uh, I don't think Texas fans are going to be happy come uh, would Sunday. The, would not be an ideal look. Imagine what Urban might say about it. <laughs> That's right. I heard Urban got off to a great start and uh, on the big noon kickoff. He might have had some of that free beer that was being given out to all the fans in Ireland after their point of sales went down. He, uh, he missed out on the uh, young co-ed grinding on him the night before. So was- <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think now we can end on that note. Wes Scott, uh, <laughs> a look. <laughs> have I fun would, this weekend. I, I would say I love you, Herbs, but that would be a lie. <laughs> I don't know who loves Urban Meyer. Um, all right, Westcott, we'll be uh, we'll be back again uh, Monday. All right, thanks, man.